This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello and welcome to this by-election special edition of the Red Box Politics Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Jolly. This podcast is dedicated to the godson of listener Miranda Smart, who recommended Red Box to her, and she's now dropped other podcasts in favour of what she calls this beauty. So today, Friday, February the 24th, there's a lot of talk of history and humiliation. Jeremy Corbyn humiliated Paul Nuttall too. The Tories making history, becoming the first governing party to take a seat at a by-election since 1982. Theresa May achieving in Copeland something which Major Blair, Brown and Cameron never did. The Conservatives will now say that there were no no-go areas for the party after overturning a 2,500 Labour majority to win by more than 2,000 themselves. It's truly a, a humiliation for Labour in Copeland. But Jeremy Corbyn is comforting himself with the result in Stoke-on-Trent Central, where his party clung on its 5,000 majority cut in half, but in the process, perhaps destroying UKIP for good. It had been seen as the party's best hope of gaining an MP in what UKIP leader Paul Nuttall called the Brexit capital of Britain. Remember, the by-elections were triggered when Labour MPs Jamie Reid and Tristram Hunt, both staunch critics of Jeremy Corbyn, quit the Commons for other jobs. In normal times, Labour should have held these seats easily. But, as we've seen repeatedly in this last extraordinary year in politics, these are not normal times. Later, we'll talk to Times political reporter Henry Zeffman, who is in Stoke. But first, we're joined on the line by Lucy Fisher, our senior political correspondent, who is in Copeland. Um, Lucy, I know you've been up all night uh, covering this extraordinary result in Copeland. At what point... As the votes were being counted, at what point did you get the sense that, that this sort of historic victory for the Conservatives was on the cards? Well, it was actually rather late on in the evening. Uh, at first, both uh, Labour and the Conservative um, representatives present at the count in Whitehaven Sports Centre were very cautious. There was a lot of expectation management and everyone really accepted that uh, it could be too close to call or, or at any rate, it was uncertain uh, how close it would be. But around about an hour before the uh, result was announced, suddenly smiles begin, began to break across the face of the uh, of the Tories there, and uh, the Labour people began to look a little more crumpled. Now, I'm, I'm told that Theresa May was woken in the night by a text message telling her what had happened, and then she, she, she then woke up Philip, her husband, to, to tell him, because 
how else do you celebrate in the middle of the night? Um, this is this is huge for Theresa May, isn't it? She's managed to do something which um, governments just don't do. Governments don't win by-elections against opposition parties. Absolutely. I mean, looking backwards, the last time the government party won uh, a seat in a by-election from the main opposition was 1982. So it really is um, a very rare occurrence uh, because people usually like to bash the government when they're uh, when they're in power, and uh, it should be uh, fairly easy uh, or comfortable at any rate for the uh, official opposition to to win. Um, I think looking forward, it's interesting to think what this means for 2020. I think there will be a lot of people today uh, on the Conservative side pretty pleased with themselves and thinking that this is possibly a harbinger for for a landslide at the next general election. And to what extent was this a sort of, do you think, a positive, if it wasn't obviously about bashing the government, a positive sort of thumbs up for the government? And to what extent was it bashing the Labour Party? I think it's quite difficult to extrapolate beyond the local campaign, which was um, quite interesting, a bipartite campaign. I mean, the Conservatives really campaigned um, very heavily uh, on the nuclear power industry, which is a major employer in the seat. Sellafield, the nuclear processing plant, employs around about 10,000 people. Uh, And they really hammered home Jeremy Corbyn's lukewarm attitude, his past uh, remarks in opposition to nuclear power, calling for nuclear power stations to be decommissioned um, some years ago. So they were effective in in really kind of hammering Jeremy Corbyn and that line about nuclear power. What's really quite worrying for Labour people is the fact that they campaigned on the NHS. And actually here, the local hospital is faced with cuts. There's moves uh, afoot to move the maternity unit 40 miles away. But even given the credible threats to the local health service and the strong attack campaign that Labour won, they didn't manage to clinch it. And I think that given they rely on their sort of trust, uh, the public's trust uh, reposed in them on the NHS, that, that should be quite worrying how, what that means for the, for the party nationwide. And this morning, in the reaction to it, uh, John Woodcock, who's the Labour MP in a neighbouring constituent, Baron Furness, he said the result is disastrous. We shouldn't insult people's intelligence by suggesting it's anything other than that. And yet, John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, is saying this is not a, in any way a comment on Jeremy Corbyn's leadership and inevitably blaming Tony Blair and Peter Mandelson for criticism of Corbyn's leadership in recent days. Where, where do you think? Who's who's more right in that? Do you think is it? I mean, it really is disastrous, isn't it, for the Labour Party to have lost this seat? I think it's a pretty severe blow for Labour, uh, absolutely, because of the historic nature and how rare uh, it is for for a seat like this to to change hands um, to the government, as we've outlined. But it's interesting. I think the what we'll see now is this parallel reality going forward. Jeremy Corbyn's critics will be um, very much, you know, playing up the fact that they believe it's a complete disaster. But meanwhile, Jeremy Corbyn's allies will be saying, well, you know, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? We lost one, we won one. You know, you know, it wasn't the best night, wasn't the worst night. Uh, and I think, in a way, he's he's um, he's been lucky that there was another by-election, Stoke-on-Trent Central, the same night, which Labour managed to hold. Um, John McDonald's line, I think, is what we're going to see more of uh, as well going forward. Jeremy Corbyn seeking to break more with the past, blame a political establishment, a broken political consensus he talked about in a statement he released last night uh, that I think absolutely includes Blair um, and, and the last Labour government as much as it does the kind of the Conservative Party. And uh, yeah, I think that, that, that already John McDonald and other allies are looking for excuses uh, and to blame the coup plotters and, uh, and the rebels within the party. 
It's interesting. Daniel Finkelstein's written an interesting piece uh, for online at the times.co.uk where he says actually he thinks Stoke is also a disaster because it will uh, make Labour people think, or certainly Corbyn supporters, it gives them an excuse to think that Copeland wasn't a disaster. That actually, the, the fact that, you know, well, we won one, we lost one, actually, it's not all bad. Actually, it is, it, it, it's even worse than that because they're, they're, instead of waking up to the uh, potential disaster of losing two, they're actually going to continue being in this denial about what, what's sort of fundamentally wrong with the party. I think that's right, because when you when you step back and look at these two seats, both were in traditional Labour heartlands. Both were um, seats where Labour had a um, majority of several thousand votes. Um, and there shouldn't really have ever been any question of them doing anything other than comfortably holding them. I think you say what, what, what you say is right, that this will be um, in many many ways it will allow um, Jeremy Corbyn's allies or supporters to believe that he's doing okay or at least promote that line Um, and I think that also leads on to sort of another quite worrying sort of aspect um, of all this which is that privately some of Jeremy Corbyn's critics were hoping that the party would lose both and that really is a worrying um, (laughs) worrying scenario when you get people wanting their party their own side to do badly um, in order to hasten the demise of of a leader they dislike um, that really shows the malaise gripping Labour, to my mind. Well, Lucy, thank you very much for that. I'll let you um, get off and uh, get some sleep. I imagine we'll be discussing the uh, repercussions of the result in Copeland uh, over the coming weeks. Now joined on the line by Henry Zeffman, who is at the Count in Stoke-on-Trent Central, where Gareth Snell hung on to that seat with a majority of two and a half thousand, beating the UKIP candidate, UKIP leader, Paul Nuttall, can we just talk us through what was the mood like in that uh, where the count was happening and when did it become apparent that Labour were going to hang on to this seat? Well, I arrived at the count not long after polls closed uh, last night and it was already apparent that Labour was, was, was pretty bullish about their chances of holding the seat and holding off the UKIP charge. Uh, UKIP, for that matter, were optimistic early on in the night, but... Uh, you know, it took Paul Nuttall much longer to arrive at the count uh, than any of the other candidates. And when he did arrive, he had that kind of doomed grin that candidates have when they when they know they're about to lose something but have to uh, sort of uh, bear their way through it. Uh, when he arrived, he said, he said, uh, if I haven't won, it just means I haven't got uh, enough votes. Uh, which was a line that the UKIP chairman, Paul Oakton, sort of uh, repeated this morning. Uh, which which only goes so far. I mean, the truth was that this was a quite a humiliating and, and bruising campaign uh, for the new UKIP leader. Uh, when when Nuttall became UKIP leader by acclamation in November, uh, he said that his ambition was not insignificant. It was to replace the Labour Party. Well, you know, he decided to stand for himself in a heartland Labour seat that backed Brexit as a, as a sign that UKIP could replace Labour uh, as the patriotic party in swathes of its heartlands in the Midlands and North. And, and they did really quite badly, uh, only very barely increased its share of the vote, still quite some distance behind Labour, and, and, and crucially, only a very small distance in front of the Tories. Uh, so it, it, the, the question here is not how did UKIP lose Stoke, central but but much broader you know can you keep actually capitalize on brexit it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And turn it into uh, more representation at Westminster. Uh, last night suggests that, that they really might not be able to. And I've, I wrote for the Red Box email today, and it's online at the times.co.uk. I actually think this is this is terminal for you, Kip. In these circumstances, in uh, a seat neglected by the Labour Party for a long time, where the, candidate, where the former MP... Tristram Hunt had been parachuted in as a mate of Peter Madison to start with. He quit to go and work for a museum in London. Uh, the seat voted overwhelmingly for leave. Labour then selected a candidate who described Brexit as a pile of shit. And uh, they put up Paul Nuttall, the party leader, who was supposed to be the sort of straight-talking scouser who didn't have the maybe nastier edge that some saw in Farage. Instead, he's had this campaign completely dogged by his um, estranged relationship with the truth, you know, whether it's playing football with Tramia Rovers or having friends who may have or may not have died at Hillsborough. I mean, it's just it's sort of extraordinary. And if they couldn't win there, you sort of have to ask, what is the point of... UKIP because it seems to me that people have either stuck with Labour because that's what they do and Labour have managed to get their votes out or as we've seen in Copeland actually what's happened is that Labour voters haven't switched to UKIP as a sort of protest they've leapfrogged to the Conservatives a move previously you know we'd have thought was impossible but if people you know there's, there doesn't seem to be a path where people go to Labour from Labour to the UKIP and then maybe the Conservatives later they've just gone straight to the Conservatives and there doesn't seem to be a point to voting UKIP it's now clear, if it wasn't uh, then, quite what an enormous risk it was for Paul Nuttall to choose to stand in this by-election himself so early in his leadership. Um, he did have this kind of reputation. Uh, he was Farage's deputy leader, um, and he had this reputation, as, as, as you say, as not quite having the nasty edge of, of Farage, of being a little bit more cerebral and a little bit more attractive. Uh, and certainly, you know, Farage is a, is a southern, privately educated stockbroker. Uh, Nuttall is, is, you know, straight-talking Liverpudlian. Uh, we were told much better suited uh, to UKIP's sort of reorientation towards the north. Well, actually, his campaign was abysmal. It was it was totally bogged down by by unforced errors. Uh, you know, some of which you mentioned. I mean, very early in the campaign, uh, Michael Crick, by taking a photo through his letterbox, uh, noticed that Nuttall was uh, had claimed uh, on his nomination papers that he was living at House in Stoke that he'd never been in before. Uh, 
as you say, uh, he was forced to deny that he that he had lied about being present at the Hillsborough Stadium disaster, but uh, did admit losing uh, the, the, the claim on his website uh, that he'd lost close friends in the incident uh, was untrue. Um, but actually, Hillsborough. I mean, I was in in Stoke the other day talking to to voters here, and and and, and you know, obviously, the Hillsborough thing uh, had had cut through, and and lots of voters were you know it, it didn't reflect well on him at all. But it, it mostly served to remind them that he was not local. Now, after Tristram Hunt, uh, you know, was parachuted in and, and, and left after six years because he wasn't, you know, in a position where he could be in the cabinet. Uh, the, the, the residents, they're really sensitive to the idea that Stoke is, is somewhere, you know, right for, for carpet bagging. Um, and, 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 you know, Hillsborough reminded them that he's not local, um, which was also, I mean, a big, big factor here was, was a radio interview he gave quite early in the campaign where he couldn't name the six towns which make up Stoke. And also he, he, he wouldn't uh, confirm that he would continue to live in the seat after the election so that you know that felt like he was a, a, a using them using stoke as a as a stepping stone on his path to westminster um and and, and you know the other thing is that is that uh, that uh, you know so, uh, ukip kept saying oh well you know stoke can be the brexit capital of britain uh, and i think we might need to reflect after this by election whether brexit is quite a big quite as big a deal still in the minds of voters as it is uh, in the mind of of the media in Westminster which sounds like a slightly dangerous thing for for someone like me who writes a uh, <laughs> Brexit email for the Times to say but uh you know from voters I spoke to and I think the results sort of bear this out you know it is important and they made their feelings known last june but they feel like they made their feelings known last june and that was a separate matter and they have all sorts of other concerns in their lives and you know a ukip candidate comes here and says i want to make you the brexit capital of britain they said well no we don't really want that very much we have concerns about the nhs and about schools uh and about social care and we want to send someone to westminster who reflects that not just our views on Brexit. I mean, and as you say, if, if Stoke voters really were that adamantly keen to avoid Brexit backsliding, that they wouldn't have, have, have elected Gareth Snell, whose uh, fruity views uh, on <laughs> Brexit are, are well known. I think there's also um, this sense that uh, the main voters are far more motivated and concerned about Brexit than Brexit voters. I mean, if you were a Leave voter in Stoke on Trent Central, by and large, you might look at the current government and actually Theresa May, the main criticism of Theresa May is that she's pursuing a too hard a Brexit or too fast. Um, there's, an, you know, there's not an overwhelming sense that she's not delivering on what people in Stoke-on-Trent Central or, where, or even the rest of the country uh, demanded. So the motivation to go out and vote, to, to send a message to Theresa May, isn't there? In, in the way there was maybe in Richmond, where Lib Dem... Uh, voters did turn out or people remain voters turn out and voted for the Lib Dems to send a message they weren't happy about Brexit if you were Brexiteer you're probably quite satisfied with how the government's going it's the remain voters who the Lib Dems are hoping to pick up and actually the Lib Dems you know managed to push UKIP into fourth in Copeland mm. well no there's that and, and, and in fact I think uh, you know, we, we spoke so much since the referendum about Labour and UKIP and the relationship between their voters and what each party's strategy means for the other party's strategy. But we've kind of ignored uh, the interplay between the Tories and UKIP. And actually, Theresa May 
despite voting Remain, has been so forthright in her desire to deliver Brexit that that has closed off quite a quite a key path for UKIP. You know, UKIP said here in Stoke, oh, we are the party that will stop Brexit backsliding. But I think it's very hard for a voter to look at the government and say, oh, they're backsliding on Brexit. I mean, which was borne out, by the way, in the Tory result here, which was very good. You know, obviously the Tory result in Copeland was, was staggeringly good. But in Stoke, you know, the government uh, increased its share of the vote, albeit very slightly. But... That's very. That's a very rare thing for the government to do. I think it was only the sixth by-election since 1970 where the government has increased its share of the vote. I mean, that's quite impressive given they had a 25-year-old candidate who, like Theresa May, had also back Remain. They didn't have much infrastructure here and they totally focused on Copeland. So I think, you know, another thing we need to think about here is, 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 is blindly the strength of the Tory party in holding together a coalition of, you know, its Remain voters, but also... Uh, reassuring Leave voters, whether they're voted Conservative before or not, that they are the party that is delivering on the mandate they were given on June the 23rd to take us out of the European Union. Just finally, uh, before I let you go and get some sleep, um, what's your sense? Do you think we'll look back on these results and they will feel in a few months or a year or so as significant as they do now? Or is there a danger that everyone gets a bit overexcited uh, in the the heat of it all, and actually, you know, the next time a by election comes along, there'll be a different result, and it'll all even itself. How how significant putting the two together? How significant do you think they are? Well, look, I don't know if anyone will be telling stories of the Stoke by election in years to come, other other than me. But uh, I do think it's it's a clear bellwether, a harbinger of, of what's to come. I'd be very surprised. I mean, Paul Nuttall, as he was leaving yesterday, and to be fair to him, albeit uh, slightly under duress, he did answer quite a lot of questions from journalists on his way out of the count. And he said, you know, there will be loads more by-elections in the near future, by-elections that are more fertile for UKIP and where we will do better. Well, it's kind of hard to see how that happens. Uh, you know, the Labour Party is... Uh, it, yeah, I mean, in fact, you know, it's important to look it out. This isn't even that good a result for the Labour Party. Uh, you know, it, it, it's its uh, majority has declined by 4%. Uh, like every other by-election since the referendum, it's lost a share of the vote. But even in those circumstances, even with Jeremy Corbyn as their leader, the loyalty is strong enough to see off UKIP uh, to in, 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 a, in a seat where, where the overwhelming majority of its voters bat leave. Well, you know, it's very hard to see in that context what could get so much worse for the Labour Party that UKIP is able to do uh, what it what it what it purports to be able to do, which is to to sweep sweep Labour territory, sweep Labour heartlands. Uh, so I think this is you know this will maybe not be a famous by election, but it will be a very good indicator uh, of how uh, politics will play out over the next few years. Henry Zeffman there in Stoke-on-Trent Central. My thanks also to Lucy Fisher for joining us from Copeland. There's loads of news and analysis all about what the by-election results might mean. You can find that at thetimes.co.uk, where you can also sign up for my morning email briefing, thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box, where my daily analysis of what's happening in politics will land in your inbox every morning at just after 8 o'clock. Do subscribe to the podcast too, where if you leave a review on iTunes, we might even dedicate a future episode to you. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.